And a good Sunday morning to you. First Sunday in the month of August. And you have joined us on a open line show on Healthy Matters this morning. What does that mean? That means your general health questions for Dr. David Hilden. Good morning, Dr. Hilden. Good to talk to you once again. I hope you had a good week. The airwaves, I guess, uh, <laughs> since we're not together. Uh, one day we'll get to be back together again in the studio, Denny. I look forward to that. It's been a been a busy week in uh in the in the in the COVID world and in the hospital, things are kind of picking up a little bit, but it's uh, been a beautiful beautiful summer week here in Minnesota. So I hope yeah. everybody had a chance to relax a little bit and get outside during the nice weather. Well, we uh, we want to, to invite our listeners to join in while we're waiting. As I said, it's an open line show. That means we're not uh, talking about any particular topic. We welcome your general health questions, either by phone or by text. Let me give you the phone number, and as we're waiting for uh, those calls and texts to come in, 651-989-9226. Same number, get you a phone call and uh, also a text, 651-989-9226. In the meantime, maybe you could uh, do giving us, uh, give us a little uh, update on uh, COVID and maybe about testing as well and maybe a, a vaccine update for that matter. Yeah, why don't, why don't I kind of uh, little summarize the week? So it, nationwide, the COVID situation is just getting worse by the day. In Minnesota and uh we're doing reasonably well, um, but we we continue to uh, have more cases than than we had the week before. So we're heading the wrong direction. Generally, what what happens is that hospitalizations—that's really what I care about—and um, because they lead to deaths and and severe illness, they've been relatively flat um, for oh, a month or two. The month of June and July were, were not so bad, at least the first part of July. But now it's starting to creep up. So if you can imagine uh, a roller coaster, if this is the chart of coronavirus cases in Minnesota. We that huge first, you know, uprise and then coming down, like when the when the train on the roller coaster is getting pulled up for that first big drop. That's what we had. We were rising, 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 and then we had a pretty decent-sized drop in the coronavirus cases, and then it was down in the little valley. Well, now we're coming to the second bump of that that roller coaster, and let's hope it's not as big as the first one, but that the the, the cases are indeed going up. Um, in our, our friends in Wisconsin, and I know we have many listeners in Wisconsin, things are somewhat worse in Wisconsin than they are here in Minnesota. The cases are rising more rapidly, in fact, quite rapidly in the state of Wisconsin. So we'll hope that that, that uh, doesn't continue there. And so that's, the, that's sort of the case, the case situation. The hospitalizations are also, they lag the cases by a couple, two, three weeks. And we're starting to see a few more of those. Um, I was on a, a night shift at the hospital a few nights ago where I work overnight. And I admitted a half a dozen people to the hospital and three of them had COVID. So so that's 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 just me. One one doctor admitting three patients with COVID. So that that is um, a concern that our hospitalizations are going up. But there's good news too. I think there's a lot of good news actually. Sometimes we have to remember the good news. It's sometimes hard to find it. But there's a lot. The vaccine development. I would put right smack in the middle of the good news category because in my career I've never seen a vaccine developed this quickly. It usually takes five years or 10 years. Well, we're seven months into this thing. And I think that there's a lot, at least by my understanding, a lot of um, promising news about a vaccine that that might be ready with some doses 
by the end of this year even, and certainly into 2021, we should see a vaccine. And, and at least the initial testing has been promising. It's safe. It's, it looks to be safe. It looks like the vaccines do develop some of, some antibodies. So now the testing that they're doing is to see if if developing those antibodies actually protects you in, uh, against getting coronavirus. And it, it's a little promising. So that's that's good news on the horizon. Hopefully we'll be able to have a vaccine. And, and, and what doctors are starting to worry about now is just will people get it? Uh, it's, it we have a, a great deal of skepticism and individualism in our in our society. And we're not sure everybody's going to get it. But I can't tell you how important getting your vaccine will be once we once we have one. That's kind of the update for what's going on uh, in Minnesota, at least. All right. And uh, reminding our listeners, it's an open line show. If you do have a question, could be about the COVID virus or uh, any particular health issue, a general health issue, uh, you can get your questions answered this morning on an open line show. How do you do that? Uh, you can call in or you can text in. That Whatever's easier, 651-989-9226. Anyway, we have to break here a quick one in a minute or so, but a texter, uh, wanted to know, are there still a lot of cases uh, that you may have heard uh, of the virus in nursing homes or long-term care facilities? Have you heard anything yes, the, along those lines? There are cases, but that that I would put maybe into the second bucket of relatively promising news. As everybody probably knows by now, the, the people most vulnerable are those in nursing homes, assisted living, and the like, and that's where the majority of the deaths have happened in Minnesota, more so than even in other parts of the country. But they, that those cases seem to be dropping. In fact, our death rate is down. Now, everyone is a is an awful thing and a sad thing. But we are having fewer deaths in in long term care facilities. I'm not exactly sure why, but I have some guesses. And you know, I think that we have learned a lot about how to recognize it. We have learned about how to control it. I think the staff at nursing and other facilities, nursing homes, are learned what to do. We often forget about the staff at nursing homes. It's a hard job, and they have learned what to do, and they're doing a great job with it. So I think that it's getting a little bit better in long-term care facilities, although that's always going to be a, a place of some vulnerability. We always have to be careful about that, but I think it might be getting a, just a little bit better. All right, good. Well, let's take a break and, again, invite our listeners. This is an open line show. If you do have a health question, don't wait. We always seem to run out of time before we have the chance to help you out this morning. So do call or text 651-989-9226. We'll get back with more of your questions here on Healthy Matters on this Sunday morning. And a beautiful one. Highs this week looks like in the 70s. We'll bring you up to date on the weather as we move through this uh, Sunday in CCO land. Healthy Matters returns here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And welcome back to Healthy Matters. It's an open line show today. That means your calls and text messages the rest of the way. Uh, Call us or text us at 651-989-9226. Well, Dr. Hilden, we have a bunch of both, so uh, let's uh, get to it. I think... Uh, on the phone now, Jeff is calling in from Elk River. You're first up. Jeff, what's your question? Uh, I own a small business, and uh, one of my, I, I've just got two employees. But one of my employees uh, lives at home with her family. Her dad just tested positive for uh, COVID-19. Of course, she was sent home right away as soon as I found that out. How soon do symptoms show up, and how soon can I get tested, and where should I get tested? Hey Jeff, those are all great questions, and um, I excuse me, I you're doing the right things. You're asking the right questions. 
the first of all, how how soon can you get tested? We usually recommend uh, waiting four or five days from your exposure to to the time you get tested. So now if you can identify when you were exposed, that would be when did you get exposed to this person, uh, an employee, obviously. So I would wait four or five days for yourself. Uh, He or he should be home for at least seven, preferably something more like 14 days, um, because that is the time that uh, that person would be thought to have been infected and could be um, safer to come back after that. Testing for you, um, if you, you're in Elk River, I know at our hospital we would test you just by walking in, but testing is delayed right now. Um, and so what I'm recommending to people is call your own clinic, find out what their procedures are, because there's plenty of, of testing up in, the, up in your area, up in Elk River as well, um, just on the edge of the metro here. And so I would call first, though. Well, the problem with testing now, by far and away, the problem with testing now is the delays in responses. We were doing really well a month or so ago, and we were getting tests back within hours. Um, but we have now uh, had there's a nationwide shortage of of supplies, and the supplies are not not exactly rocket science here. It's things like chemicals and plastic tips for the lab equipment. These are not uh, this is um, stuff we we need to be able to get, but we don't have enough of. So for you, wait four or five days. Keep your employee home for 7 to 14 days if you can, and uh, call your local clinics. Some places will do walk-up testing. Uh, the lines out of our door are, block, I would say, blocks long for the, for the testing, but, but uh, sometimes you can do walk-up testing as well. But my recommendation is always to call or do an e-visit first um, for yourself um, to avoid standing in line and having and not having the ability to get your test done. All right. Thank you, Jeff. 651-989-9226. Texter says this, doctor, as a 60-year-old male, besides getting the regular annual influenza vaccine, what other vaccines should be considered while waiting for a COVID vaccine? Yeah, I think the person said, uh, you said 65 years old, right, Denny? A 60-year-old. Yeah, 60-year-old. So the, the vaccines for a 60-year-old, if you don't have other medical problems, are simply your annual flu vaccine. So get that as soon as it comes out. And every 10 years, you should have your tetanus, diphtheria, and uh, pertussis vaccine. So those would be the two big ones for an asymptomatic, healthy 60-year-old. Now, if you have any medical conditions such as lung disease or cancer, advanced heart disease, uh, then you should also be getting, or diabetes, I'm sorry, I should, can't forget diabetes, then you should also get a pneumonia vaccine um, at age 60. Otherwise, people generally wait till they're 65 years old to get a pneumonia vaccine. Uh, those would be the ones I want to make sure you would have done. There was this weird study that I don't even, well, that came out of, um, I can't remember where it came out of, it was just last week, and I think it was even out of mail, that had this, they looked at can any old vaccine help you? And they found out that people who had all their usual vaccines were also a little less likely to get coronavirus. Now, this is just one study. It's not peer-reviewed. It isn't published yet. But I think the idea was that people who generally get their vaccines in general are also probably more healthy people um, who attend to their health a little bit. And so they're, they're not as likely to get the coronavirus. But there was an interesting correlation study 
between getting all vaccines and maybe reducing your risk of coronavirus. Uh, Mm. I know people have a lot of opinions out in the world about vaccines, but most medical professionals don't vary on their opinion. It is a a public health good and a personal health good um, vaccines are. Um, So get your vaccines. I appreciate the text. Yep. Back to the phones we go. Janet is calling in from Fridley, I believe. Janet, thanks for waiting. What's your question for Dr. Hilden? Um, my question is, um, is it, I'm sorry, how does disinfectant and our hand sanitizer affect, affect the skin on our hands if we use a lot of it and the rest of our body? Hi, Janet. Terrific question. Um, the, the the mild effects of hand disinfectant would be dry skin, and it can flake your skin and get dry and irritated. And some people might have more sensitive skin. That is one possibility. Um, uh, at the hospital, I'm fortunate. Um, the hand sanitizers are of the shaving cream variety. They're foam. And so you can't walk 10 feet down a hospital hallway without having these little foam canisters. That those have uh, other things to help your skin in them so that they're more protective. So if you can find a hand sanitizer that has some skin protectants in it, that might help that dry skin a little bit. Then there are there are many dozens of hand sanitizers out there that are generally not the ones we're buying, but are on the market in the internet and the like that are dangerous. These are ones that contain methanol or uh, or wood alcohol. Um, there, that was in the news a couple weeks ago, and that's a real thing. So if you have a hand sanitizer that is not one of the big ones that you might buy at, at Target, for instance, Look at the ingredients. If it contains methanol with an M, like in Mary, methanol, that's dangerous. That's even dangerous to have on your skin. It's exceptionally dangerous to ingest it. So if you have it on your skin or your child's skin and you accidentally ingest it, that's very dangerous. So don't use any any hand sanitizer that contains methanol. Beyond that, it's not thought, the, the, the hand sanitizers are thought to be safe for repeated for repeated use to your skin. I might say that the best way to prevent the coronavirus on your hands is soap and water. Wash your hands for 20 seconds. That's the preferred technique. All right. Very good. Uh, before we take a break, and we're going to get back to the text messages in, the, in a moment, but Judy, I believe, is calling in from Brooklyn Park this morning. Judy, you are on CCO with Dr. Hilden. Hi. Um, I got tested for the coronavirus, and I've had it back in April. And I have the antibodies, and I want to know, am I still subject any time in my life to any side effects? Well, Judy, first of all, um, congrats on getting better, and I'm glad you're better. Um, You are kind of a walking example of, of most people still get better. From coronavirus, so that's another thing, a hopeful thing. The antibodies that you have, we are not sure what the meaning of them are. We do know that antibodies develop to an infection, so your body was infected, your body fought it off, and you have antibodies. We we just don't know how long the protection lasts or how strong that protection is. So you are, it is quite possible, in fact, probably likely that somewhere down the road you can get coronavirus a second time. But at least in the short term, you're doing, you're you're uh, you're relatively safe. Now, if you're talking about side effects of the actual infection, 
there is some evidence that some people can't shake this thing for months. Their lungs might have some inflammation or some scarring in them after getting the coronavirus. Many people are reporting, I'm just fatigued and I can't clear my throat and I have this kind of cough sensation for weeks or even months um, after having coronavirus. The medical science is still developing on what things look like after having been infected. But I wouldn't be surprised if you had the COVID infection a few months ago that you might have some fatigue um, left. You might have a little bit of trouble breathing left, um, or you might be 100% better. And that, that would be what I would hope for. All right, very good. We need to take a break. We have another half hour or so to the show to go, so if you missed uh, asking your question of the doctor, uh, call us, 651-989-9226, or use that same number for your text messages. We'll have a bunch of those when we come back after the break. And a look at that forecast right ahead here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And welcome back to our uh, Healthy Matters show. It's an open line show today, and I know we have callers and we have texters too. I, I don't want to keep the folks on the phone, Dr. Hilda, waiting too long, and we'll grab some texts after this. But Jim, I believe, is calling in from uh, Shakopee this morning. Jim, you're on CCO with the doctor. Uh, doctor, what's your take on hydroxychloroquine? Jim? Hi, Jim. Hydroxychloroquine is the drug we all hear a lot about. Um, it has no role in the treatment of uh, COVID. It is a drug that's been around for some time and is used by people with um, rheumatologic diseases mostly. Uh, that would be things like lupus. Uh, it, it goes under the brand name Plaquenil, and I've been prescribing it for some years to the very small number of patients who, who benefit for, from rheumatologic diseases. Uh, it, it's not a benign drug. It's not like taking a, 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 a vitamin. This is a, a drug that has problems, um, has side effects with heart rhythms, and um, that can be, in fact, fatal, it, although not common, but possible. It also, if you take it long enough, it causes vision, vision problems. There is absolutely zero reason to take it for COVID-19. So anything you're hearing in the in the news right now or people wondering if it's a good idea, that is not supported by any medical science. So don't take it for COVID. That'd be my advice. Very good. Texter says this, doctor, uh, uh, about masking. Texter says, I've read that it's safe for diagnosed COVID patients to re-enter social distancing after two weeks since the start of symptoms. Is this right? Or from the end of symptoms, or if only retested negative? Seems that many symptoms can last much longer than two weeks. Long text. Yeah, that, the, 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 those are good points that the, this person is raising, and we don't have great answers to all of that. Um, because they're right. Some people might shed the virus longer than others, and uh, it's just not clear. So what we do in the hospital, we used to test people for cure. In other words, test them 14 days after their first positive test, and and that's, we did that to make sure that they've cleared the virus. And if you cleared the virus and you were negative, you're good to go. We've stopped doing that, but we've stopped doing it largely because it's a waste. We don't have enough tests. And so we're back to a time-based system. Um, the testing didn't seem to be uh, of in 14 days didn't seem to be robust enough for us to know what to make of it, and we didn't have enough tests. So basically, we're just using a time-based system now. That means if 14 days have last uh, have have gone by, your your risk of being infectious is quite low. And um, we generally do that um, from the time of your first test. 
So this person was asking, is it from the beginning or the end of symptoms? Uh, if what I what we also tell people with symptoms is just if you are still having fever or cough or shortness of breath, you might as well consider yourself to be pretty infectious. So infectious people stay away from others. Just simply don't share the air with other people um, at close range. So if you had this virus and you were symptomatic, I would wait uh, that I would wait from when your symptoms go away. Um, and, and, and that would be the safest thing to do. The 14-day the thing was largely for those who were asymptomatic. You just had a positive test. How long am I, am I at risk of infecting others? And we said, well, 14 days is about, is, is, is about it. But if you have symptoms, make sure you're symptom-free for that period of time. Okay. Uh, let's see. Tom is calling in from North Branch this morning with a question. Tom, you're on CCO with Dr. Hilden. I got a question. Uh, my wife went in. Uh, she was uh, her doctor, low blood, and they told her to take an iron supplement. Now, she is allergic to sulfa, and she looked at this. She's been on for about 10 days, and it's uh, kind of a uh, – she's kind of got an upset stomach. She th- she's trying to decide, but the, vi- uh, the iron supplement is full of sulfate, sulfate, and uh, she was told to take it, but she is allergic to sulfa, and after 10 days, she's – uh, you know, kind of got upset stomach. Same family, I assume, or what? What is your opinion? Yeah, Tom. So the sulfa allergies A are very common, um, and B, a uh, lot of things have sulfates in them. Uh, I'm I don't know of too many people who cross um, react with the sulfa antibiotics, for instance, and things in iron. But it it might be possible. It, it, um, I would call her, believe it or not, her pharmacist. Um, they're, they're very wise on the cross-reactivity issues. So wherever she got it filled, they would be able to, they have databases and really, really smart people in pharmacy and see if, there's a, if that's a common cross-reactivity. I'm not aware that it is. So what, I, what is very common is side effects from iron, however. Uh, having an upset tummy is very, very common to lots of people who take iron, even if you're not allergic to anything. So I, I think it's probably most likely that if she's not allergic to it, but she's having a very common side effect. We used to give iron very often. We used to give it two or three times a day to people who were iron deficient. We have learned that that is not helpful. So I hope she should be taking it only once a day or even every other day. And that might help her symptoms, and it does not uh, diminish its, its, uh, how good it works. So take it every day or every other day and uh, call, call your pharmacist about the allergy. I don't think she's having an allergy, but I could be wrong. All right, uh, back to the text messages. Uh, here's one that says, there's been some talk about face shields. Uh, they are open on the bottom and sides, and when wearing cloth masks, is it important that they fit snugly? Is wearing a face shield effective, Texter wants to know? It would be a poor substitute um, for a good mask. At the hospital, we do wear face shields and masks when I'm going into a room with a patient who has COVID. So and I do that relatively frequently. I, I wear a mask all the time, and I put these plastic face shields over my face um, also. But that is with when I'm walking into a room and sharing the air with a patient that I know has COVID. Um, there is a possibility that um, you could get this through your eyes. Um, your eyes are actually an opening into your body. And so that's part of it. Um, it's to keep those big droplets off your face. 
but that is not an adequate thing on its own. So I would say that wearing a face shield on its own is not an adequate um, uh, preventive measure. If you simply simply cannot wear a mask, then I, I guess it's better than nothing, but, the, but not a whole lot. Um, the coronavirus spreads through very small droplets of water or even particles smaller than droplets. It, it can be, get suspended in the air, so the face shield won't help you in that case. As for the mask, the best ones are a surgical mask or a cloth mask that has a few layers in it. That's thought to be better. Um, uh, wearing a simple bandana over your face um, has, is, is going to reduce your risk. So whatever you're wearing over your face is better than nothing. Um, but if you can get a, a cloth that has some multiple layers, there's some fancy ones you can buy now that have that. Um, that would be your best bet. Okay. Texter said, I just developed a case of shingles. Does that leave a person more vulnerable to COVID because of the immune system being compromised? I'm not aware of that, but it could be that I'm just not aware of it. Your immune system um, uh, is compromised a bit when you get shingles because what happens in shingles is that it's a virus that's been living in you ever since you had chickenpox. You could have had chickenpox during the Eisenhower administration and it gets reactivated now when your immune system is uh, a little less robust than it was, you know, in the 50s and 60s. And so uh, your immune system being a little bit more compromised could make you more susceptible to getting a coronavirus. But I don't think there's a relationship between the shingles itself and getting coronavirus. I think they're both part of the same problem. People who have reduced immune systems are more at risk for all kinds of infections, and these being two of them. I would do the usual precautions. I would make sure you're wearing a mask. It's just not even an option. Make sure you're wearing a mask. Make sure you're not sharing the air of others at close range. So stay six feet apart, 10 feet apart is better. And what and don't don't go to restaurants and have meals inside and don't go to gatherings of any size um, if you're if you're at a place that you're more at risk. Okay, let's uh, grab a phone call. Uh, Mary is calling in from Hastings this morning. Mary, you're on CCO. What is your question, please? Yes, um, since the coronavirus is so contagious, how can one person in the household test positive? and no one else get it, and how do you protect the others? Yeah, it is possible, and it happens, that, uh, that people um, don't pass it to others in the home. It is, it, it is likely because those people are simply not shedding very much virus, um, and it's not, um, therefore, in the home that much. Here are things you can do to protect other members in the house. Any way you can get air moving through your home is a good thing. Uh, outdoors is way better than indoors for for pass for not passing this virus. And so open up your windows, um, get air moving. Uh, you just want the house. If someone tests positive, I would have them live in another room for a while, a week or two at least. Um, they can come out and and but you should they should probably have a mask on. The person who's infected should should probably have a mask on even in your home if you're in the same room. Um, so keep them separated. Mask up if you're in the same room. Get b- as much ventilation you can in your house. 
wash down surfaces as much as you can. Those would be the things I would suggest for staying safe in your home. All right. You know what we need to do is take a quick break here, but we have more show to come. It's an open line show here on Healthy Matters, 651-989-9226. That's the phone number. It's also the text number. We'll uh, take some more text questions when we return. Here on Healthy Matters on News Talk 830, WCTO. Stay with us. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. It's an open line show today. We've been uh, fielding your questions by phone and by text as usual. Uh, just as a reminder, Dr. Hilden, we're going to be doing this for those that didn't get in today or we run out of time. We're going to be doing an open line show next week as well, right? I do believe. Indeed we are. We'll talk about whatever's on people's minds uh, for the rest of this show and next week. Very good. Uh, back to the phones, then we'll get some text messages. Uh, Wendy is calling in from Hopkins this morning. Thanks, Wendy. What's your question? Hi, I'm on temporary layoff from a school-age child care job, and I may be called back for the next school year. I'm over 60. I have diabetes and asthma, and I'm wondering how to keep myself safe. Yeah, good question. Good question. Your, your, your concerns are totally legitimate. And you have a couple of things, asthma and diabetes. Those are risk factors for more serious COVID disease. I should be clear, you're not at higher risk of getting coronavirus. You're not at any higher risk as somebody without diabetes and asthma. But if you do get it, it might be more serious. That's an interesting distinction that people should know. You know, anybody can get the virus, but if you have uh, some underlying conditions, it just might be more serious. And that's really something to think about. So you should do the exact things we would tell you to do if you didn't have it and just make sure you're very diligent about it. If you're around children, there, you know, this is sort of uncharted territory, but clearly children need to be cared for. It's one of the most, I don't know if there is any job as important as those who care for our children. And kids can get this thing and spread it around. However, the kids themselves are a little bit less at risk, especially the younger ones. The one silver lining of this dang coronavirus is that it doesn't seem to affect children very seriously, but they can pass it around. So, if you are with your children on your charges, uh, wear a mask to the degree you can have the children wear masks. And I realize that that is very difficult for young kids, but try keep things wiped down um, and and don't be in large groups. If you are if you are with don't have 20, 30 kids, that, that sounds like a, you know, a nightmare and under any circumstances, maybe, but but just smaller groups would be good. Anything you can be outside would be good. Keep the air moving in the rooms. And then, of course, wear your mask. Um, so just be extra diligent. Um, and I realize how hard that would be with children. I think we struck a nerve with some folks as far as the topic of shingles. Here's uh, one. A 51-year-old female texter says, I've had chicken pox as a child and shingles once as a teen. I received the first of two shingle shots at the first of this year uh, and have not gotten the second dose of the vaccine yet. How long do I have to get the second shot is the question. Oh, just about as long as you need. Um, you can't get it too soon, but you, but, you, know, you don't want to get it three weeks after the first one. But if six months have passed, you're good to go. You can get it now. You can get it next month. You can get it the month after. You can get it next year. If you need to, what what it is, it's a booster. The you know I wouldn't wait till next year, but you 
if if next year comes and you still haven't got to get it then. But I would for sure make sure you've had two um, several months apart. So go ahead, get your shing- get your second shingle shot now, sometime in the next few months. This texter says uh, that she is not comfortable socializing. Says my husband has an office boat cruise coming up. He has a heart condition and plans on attending. He thinks he thinks I'm going along. A woman in his office was diagnosed with COVID. Would you go on this two-hour cruise? Is her question. No, that's oh. my short answer. I would not. Um, uh, your husband shouldn't either. Uh, uh, I, I, it sounds harsh, but uh, you're in. Even though you're outside, I'll bet you there's. You know, there might be an indoor component, but even if there isn't, um, uh, it's not particularly safe uh, for someone. Uh, to with especially with a heart condition that's one of those things that I, I i just would i would not recommend it no okay uh texter says what cleaning procedures should we follow in a condo rental upon arrival of course we will bring our uh, clorox wipes but for example do we need to wash the sheets could the virus be lurking in the mattresses what to do Great question. You know, or, or even what do people do when you're going to stay at a hotel, for instance, you know, on a road trip, uh, uh, something like that. Um, I think bringing your wipes in and wiping down the common surfaces is a smart move. Uh, I think the overall risk of entering an empty room is quite low. So you can feel good about that. I doubt the virus is just hanging around in the air, although it's possible if somebody was in the room an hour before. Um, the virus could hang out in the air for some time, but I think that's relatively low risk. So what I would do is just wipe down all the common surfaces, the handles on the the doors, uh, all the rooms, uh, the the microwave, the refrigerator, all that stuff. I would just wipe things down, and then after that, all the germs in there are your own. They're on the seats. I, I don't think that that's a big problem. I guess, again, if somebody had been in there sneezing on the sheets, you know, just within uh, that very day, that could be a problem. But I would think that that's a relatively low likelihood problem. So I wouldn't worry so much about the sheets. It's it's not impossible, but I think it, on the grand scheme of risks, I think it's quite low. All right. We have a little less than two minutes to go. Let, let's see if we can take one more text uh, good morning. It says regarding elective surgeries such as shoulder repair, back fusing, etc., is it now safe for seniors to have outpatient surgery or a five-day stay in hospitals? Well, safe is a relative term. Uh, um, it, it's it's less safe than staying home um, because you are out and about. Um, but but the hospitals have learned to do some things to make it safer. For instance, at our hospital at Hennepin Healthcare in downtown Minneapolis, we do test patients um, before elective procedures. So you would know what your status is going in. And then they do mask up the patients um, during all of this. And being in the hospital has not been proven to be a big source of transmission. It's kind of interesting when you look at the, the healthcare workers. We have at any given day many dozens to even 100 people out um, with some type of potential exposure to COVID, and relatively few of them got them at work. Our healthcare workers are getting the coronavirus at home and at the stores and bars and restaurants. And so being in the hospital is maybe not as unsafe as you might think. But 
if your surgery is necessary for your quality of life and if it is something that is going to help you out uh, to to getting more uh, to a more hole in your life, I would recommend going ahead with it. You can get your surgery done and just take all the right precautions. I know the hospital will be taking all those precautions. How about uh, five or ten seconds uh, phone number if somebody needs to get a primary care doc? And now's the time, 612-873-6963. 612-873-6963. We will see you next week.